All right. Well, happy Easter once again. And uh, especially if you're a guest of ours, I want to welcome you. We are really glad that you're here. And we also realize and recognize that even on a holiday like this where you've had time off, that uh, you took a chance to be in church today. And we're really grateful that you are here. Uh, but on that note, I also want to say that it would be impossible for me. I think sometimes as a pastor, you feel the weight to explain everything we believe all at once in 15 minutes and change everybody's life. <laughs> and uh, like I, that is not my goal today. What, what I want to do today is bring to your attention just the thing that separates Christ, the thing that separates the God of the Bible from every other religion in the world. But before I do that, uh, if you are a guest, I do want to invite you back next week to that lunch. Uh, it's a, it's a, a free lunch at a great place. And uh, even if you hate the church service, you get a free lunch at the hall, right? So, but um, uh, beyond that, take that card. There's an email address on there, RSVP for it, so that we can make the right reservation. And uh, I would love to spend some time with you, answer some of your questions and I'll let you get to know Redeemer City Church a little bit. Uh, we are all about three things. They're on the wall back there. We love God because he first loved us. It's that simple. And we share good news because that's what Jesus came for. I'm going to talk about that in a second. And then we serve the city uh, as an overflow of what God has done in our heart. But uh, I wish that I could spend uh, a coffee conversation with every one of you. Because one of the things that is, is important to me and one of the reasons we started Redeemer City Church is because there are so many ideas, so many views, so many beliefs about the church. And uh, some of them true, all of them valid. And uh, you know, a lot like my kids will go into public and do something that I don't want them to do. Uh, oftentimes, God's kids, the church, walk into the world and do things that... Uh, he doesn't want them to do. And regardless of what you've seen or heard, uh, what I want you to know is that uh, Christianity, the God of the Bible, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is not a blind belief. And while I can't walk you through all of that today, I want you to know that there's good answers for your questions. Whatever your concerns are, they are valid. But I want you to know that there's good answers for those concerns and I would love to talk with you about those. But there's one aspect of our belief in Jesus and in his resurrection from the dead that separates Christianity, that separates the Bible, that separates Jesus from every other religion in the world. And quite frankly, it's why we're here right now. It's why the term Christers was created. It's why for some reason on Christmas and Easter, people feel like this is where they should be. There's a reason behind that. And that's what I want to talk about today. And to do it, I want to, I want to take you to the most famous verse in the entire Bible. Anybody know where I'm going? John 3.16. Nailed it. Right? I mean, I mean, I think all of America, maybe all of the world just about has heard that verse. But despite what we as Christians think of as good news, maybe today you're sitting here thinking to yourself that maybe that verse is not good news. And I want to I want to walk you through why we think it's good news, whether you've had a bad experience at church or you've been taught that science and the Bible can't coexist or why would 
perhaps the biggest question, why would a good God allow so much evil? And those are all valid concerns, and maybe you have a different problem with Jesus that's valid. But for those of us in the church, we aren't Jesus. We're a bunch of sinners who have come together in recognition of our need for a Savior, and that gets messy sometimes. And we do the wrong thing more often than we wish. But despite that concern, and despite what you might have been told, science and the Bible coexist very well and very nicely. And if we know that there's evil, it's only because we know of the good that's in the world to compare it to. But Jesus ought not be judged solely by the ones he came to rescue. (laughs) That's why we needed rescue. He ought to be judged for himself. And because the Bible is not primarily a science book, though it's accurate. It's not primarily a history book, though it's accurate. And it's not primarily an ethics book, though it is helpful. I do want to dispel the myth that you have to clean yourself up to come to church. No, you come to church so God can clean you up. And uh, it's not the other way around. And so with all of those things in mind, uh, I want you to know that the Bible is primarily a book that reveals God to us. Jesus said it like this in Luke chapter 24. There was a group right after he resurrected that was walking on the road to a city called Emmaus. And they were kind of discouraged because they had heard all about this Jesus and then they watched him die. And then he was supposed to rise from the grave, but they just couldn't find it in themselves to believe it. And so they're leaving town, they're leaving Jerusalem and heading to Emmaus. And Jesus appears, he seems to have a theme here, right? He met the women and surprised them, it says suddenly. And then he meets these people on the road and he keeps their eyes hidden from him. And he asks them some questions like, how could you not believe that he wasn't going to rise again? And he's standing right there, obviously, and he's got them blinded from seeing him. And then he makes a very interesting statement about the Bible. It says in Luke chapter 24 and verse 27, if you're taking notes, you can write that down and look it up later. But it says that he began to open the Bible, which for them was the Old Testament, and explain to them, the Bible says, all of the scriptures concerning himself. The Bible is about Jesus. The Bible is not just a rule book for you to follow. Jesus himself said that he was explaining those things concerning himself. You see, God is holy and God does hate sin and God does have a best practice, a best way for you to live. But that's not primarily what the Bible's about. The Bible is primarily God's law to show you your need for a savior, because here's the reality To love your neighbor as yourself is impossible for you and me. If we were to take a litmus test and and you needed to get a hundred on love your neighbor as yourself, how would you be doing? None of us would meet that standard. And so God's law is there to show you your need for a savior. And, And the whole scriptures about Jesus, the answer to that need. But look at John chapter 3, verse 16. You probably know it. Here's what the Bible says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But it's the next verse. 
You see, we all know that one. But I want to ask you a question. Do you know the next one? See, because we, we, we know the story behind Easter, behind Good Friday, that God sent his son Jesus into the world to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for your sin. But, but maybe that rubs you the wrong way. Maybe you don't think you need a savior. Or maybe, maybe you're offended by the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. But that if you don't believe in him, that he would send you to hell. What, 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 is, what is that all about? I want you to go to the next verse because it reveals to you something very important about the heart of God. Look at verse 17. For God did not, everybody say not. not. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. God did not send Jesus to this earth to condemn you. If you hear nothing else from me today, I want you to know that Jesus didn't strap on, put on humanity and walk this earth for 33 years, die on a cross to condemn you. It's not what he came for. Jesus came to earth. God became flesh. John chapter 1 says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That glory didn't come to earth to condemn you. And some of you need to let that gospel medicine rest on your soul and just let it be known that regardless of what your past experience has been, God didn't come to condemn you. Yes, he's holy. Yes, he hates sin. Yes, there's a real place called hell, but God doesn't send anyone to hell. Our choices do that. You see, because our sin and Satan have already condemned you. You already stand condemned because you're a sinner. And let's be real. Let's just be real. Listen, I know that's offensive. Every Easter I offend somebody and they walk out of here grumpy. But listen, just engage that for a second. Just be real. Just be honest with me right now. If it was just you and I sitting for coffee or if I just followed you around for a week, you're telling me you don't ever do anything wrong? There's no way. I mean, you just spend five minutes in the car with me or five minutes around me and my kids. You'd be like, eh. He's a sinner. He really needed Jesus to come. And that, that, I'm simplifying that, but here's, here's the reality. We aren't good. We aren't naturally good. The Bible says that there's no one righteous, not even one. We need a Savior. And so Jesus came into this world. Let's look at the rest of the verse God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. To save the world through him. I want you to know that we celebrate on Easter the fact that God came to earth. Why is that so significant? I mean, aside from the, being the only one who's ever rised from the dead. It's a big deal, I know. But what was the point behind that? What I want you to know and walk away with today is the thing that separates Christianity from every other religion, including atheism, which is its own faith-based religion. I know if you're an atheist, I just offended you a lot. But I love you, and we can still have coffee. I'll buy it, okay? And we'll chat. But uh, So don't tune out. But 
all of those religions or non-religions or whatever it is put the weight on you to rise to God. You see, one thing that all religions agree on is that there's a problem. Even an atheist, you, you would look at the world and say, we have a problem. And you can just go down the corridor of history and point out the problems. Serious, serious evil. We experience it in this country right now, every day. You can turn on the news and you can realize that this world has a problem. We can at least all agree on that. And for centuries, people have tried to answer that problem, the problem of evil. And every religion in the world, without fail, has asked you, the human being, to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, to make something happen, to earn for yourself, to do more good than bad on the scales of life. And the reality is, is that we always fall short. The Bible says it this way in Romans, we all fall short of the glory of God. It's a fact. But the thing that separates Jesus the Bible, from every other religion, is that God, when He saw you in your sin, when He saw that problem, did not demand that you rise to Him, but He came for you. That's the difference. And so if you're going to reject the Gospel, if you're going to reject Jesus, I want you to reject the right Gospel. I want you to say no to the right Jesus, because the right one is verse 17. God did not send his son into this world to condemn you. Your choices, your sin, your all of that has done that already. You're already condemned because you're a sinner. I'm already condemned because I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. We don't meet the standard of a holy God. And what makes the gospel of Jesus Christ such good news is that he didn't just send us all to hell immediately. No, he saw us in our sin and he sent Jesus. And he didn't come as a king on a horse. He came as a baby. He lived a life just like you and I so he could identify with you and I. Humble carpenter from the poorest of the poor in a town called Nazareth History records, the Bible records, that when a guy heard that the Savior of the world was coming out of Nazareth, he said, what? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? I mean, how many of you lived in that kind of place? Can anything good come out of that place? Right? Came from the humblest of places. Went to the cross to pay the penalty for your sin, to make a way for you to be right with God. That's the gospel. And that is what Easter is a celebration of. Rather than impossibly demand that you work for him, he willingly came for you. And Easter is a celebration of salvation that was sealed when he rose from the grave. That's what we celebrate. That's why we sing extra songs on Easter. Some of y'all are like, man, are they ever going to stop singing? Right? No. <laughs> We're not. Because God's been so faithful, and if you know the Jesus that I know, who loves me in spite of me, who's rescued you in spite of you, 
It's such good news we can't help but sing. You see, Jesus is alive, and because of that, we have, say it, hope. What's a life without hope? So, verse 16, the famous one, verse 17, the just as important one. But then there's verse 18, too. And what I want you to know is that regardless of where you find yourself today, that this choice still comes back to you. Because God didn't create robots. God gave you choice. Because otherwise it's not love. Look at verse 18. And I want you to just think about this for yourself. The choice comes to you. Look at verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Verse 18 reminds us that the choice still lies with us. The most important question you'll ever answer in your life is, what did you do with Jesus? It's the most important question. It's the central question of history. The cross is the crooks of history. What did you do with Jesus? What will you do? With Jesus. In this moment, we like to say around here, with knowledge comes responsibility. And here you are. And I want to ask you the question what will you do with Jesus? It's the most important question. When you take in all the evidence, I just want you to know that there's sufficient evidence for you to stake your life on Jesus Christ. Millions. And billions of people throughout history have staked their life on Jesus Christ. We have eyewitnesses to his death and his resurrection. Credible eyewitnesses, including John. But the choice is yours. The choice is yours. One writer put it this way. When you look at all the evidence surrounding Jesus... There's only really one of three options. He was either the biggest liar the world has ever known. Think about all the billions of people that have given their life to him. Think about the disciples who knew him, watched him die, watched him rise to life, and were uh, before his death running scared and after his death willing to give up their life, and most of them did. They gave their life for it. They died for it. Just last year, we had Egyptians on a beach. Christ followers have their themselves beheaded for Jesus Christ. Why are they willing to do that? Because it's true. He was either the biggest liar or he was the biggest lunatic. He was so insane that he was able to get billions of people to follow him, including us right now. I've wasted a lot of time and money if it ain't true. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. He is who he said he is. And I want to invite you to just bow your knee to Christ today. That today would be the day that you would lay your life down at the feet of Jesus. That you would be like those women who before his death weren't totally sure. They just knew they loved Jesus. But when they saw him risen, they just grasped the feet of Jesus and worship. Maybe that's all you can do today. 
Maybe you don't even understand at all what it's going to mean if you submit your life to Jesus today. You just, I've, I've lived 50 years and never done that. What is that going to do to my life? Listen, it just starts with grasping the feet of Jesus. He'll do the rest. He'll do the rest. And worshiping Him. The Bible says it's this easy. It says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. It's that simple. There's no magic prayer. There's no coming forward and like getting a snake and me banging you on the head and you fall over. None of that. You don't have to do any of that today. You can write where you're at. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that in your heart. And the Bible says that you will be saved. It's that simple. It's so simple you could miss it. It's so simple you could miss it. But I want you to know, the band's going to come up. We're going to sing, yes, one more song. Maybe two, if we're lucky. But as they come and as they start to play, I just want to invite you to stay right where you're at. But to, in your heart and in your mind, just invite Jesus into your heart. It's a simple prayer. However, the Holy Spirit leads you. But the, the ingredients are simple. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. But if you do that, please don't walk out of here without telling somebody. We would love to celebrate with you. We've got some resources for you. We've got a little book back there called Next Steps. It'll just walk you through those first few things that... Uh, all of us love and enjoy, but you've been afraid of. We'll walk you through that. We have a little book for you. Come grab that gift and uh, sign up for that lunch. I'd love to answer some of your questions. But I want you to stand with us. And uh, we're going to sing this song, and then I'll come back up and pray. But uh, we're so glad you were here. But remember, it's so simple, you could miss it. Will you come to Christ today? Would you confess Jesus as Lord. Do that right now at your seat.